Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Derek, and uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan. Thank you for uh, the condolences uh, for yesterday's game. If you saw the game, I, I think I'm going to uh, be leaving staff uh, next season to try out to be the kicker for the Cincinnati Bengals because um, I think I could make a 28-yard field goal. Um, anyway, enough about my misery. Um, you know, one of the things that was great about yesterday, uh, I got to kind of take my mind off the game a little bit, was that it was my son Timmy's third birthday. And, uh, and that was a lot more fun than the Bengals game was. And um, <clears throat> Timmy, is he's really into this preschool rock band known as the Wiggles. Okay? Now, I don't fundamentally have a problem with the Wiggles music. If you've heard the music, it's not bad. It's actually fairly catchy. Uh, some of the tunes are, are actually pretty good. But we have a rule in our house. Uh, you can listen to the Wiggles, but there will be no watching. There's no watching of the Wiggles. See, my problem with the Wiggles kind of stems from their whole image thing, the, the visual deal. I think we got, a, we got a photo. If you don't know the Wiggles, I'm about to enlighten you. You see, I, there's just something wrong with that picture. You know, it's like the manufactured smiles and the gestures, and it's just... I don't know. It just really bothers me. And you, this doesn't even, like, really do it justice to how bad this, this whole deal is. And I was, I was back and forth because I really don't want to kind of endorse or promote the Wiggles in any way. But I had to show you a clip. So just to kind of show you what I'm talking about, uh, let's, let's run. Just, just give us a little, just a little flavor of what... One rhyme for cat. It's hat. Two rhymes for dog. Bog and log. Three rhymes for tree, C, T, and B. Four rhymes for coat, boat, goat, moat, and throat. That's enough. That's enough. We're gonna. I can't. I can't. I can't do that anymore. But see, there's something. Yeah, you can take the picture up too. Just. I don't want to see it. There's something fundamentally wrong. Like grown men shouldn't be doing stuff like that. I. I and and here's the deal. Okay, if you don't know this, okay. I'm just here to tell you a couple things. One, the Wiggles are not of God, okay? Okay? They're not, okay? And, and this is a movement that is sweeping across the world and is taking over. So, so just be ready. I mean, th these guys are out of Australia. They're now grossing about $50 million a year. Okay, so this this is a movement that is actually it, it, it's coming. In fact, if, if you guys have ever been to Six Flags in New Jersey, now the Wiggles are, are like taking over Six Flags. They've got a whole area, a, a Wiggles theme area at, in Six Flags, New Jersey. So one day they will be taking over the world. They, they will all be all you'll see on your TV screens is the Wiggles. And what's amazing to me is how this movement known as the Wiggles has spread. How I mean, they're so annoying. How, I don't know a single parent out there that thinks that that is a fun thing to watch. So it's amazing to me. Uh, today, um, we are, are going to be uh, talking about a movement we know as Christianity, that Jesus Christ uh, came to this earth 2,000 years ago to start. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But uh, one of the things that, that uh, I want you guys to, to think about, I don't, know, I don't know how many of you guys have heard of the book The Tipping Point by an author named uh, Malcolm Gladwell. But um, very interesting 
Um, Gladwell, kind of in, in his book, The Tipping Point, he says that, that for any uh, sweeping change to happen, for, for a movement to take off or for a new fashion trend to, to go or for a product to kind of, you know, to sweep across, to go from this idea into something greater, there's these three factors that are at play. If you've, if you've read the book, this will be a little refresher for you. But there's three factors that are at play uh, in any major movement. The first one is the idea. The second factor is the context, and the third factor is the people. And so, basically, obviously, uh, Gladwell says that the idea has to be catchy, or his word is, it's got to stick. It's got to be sticky. It's got to be something that people are going to latch onto and want to get a hold of and want to pass along. So, uh, the second thing, he says, is the context, or it's the environment, okay? It's the, it's the culture, it's the, it's the setting that we're in the society that we're in. And then the third thing that that Gladwell talks about, the third factor for for a a, a sweeping change to happen is the people. And in his book, he talks about these three types of people that go into um, basically sparking a movement and taking it from from just a few people knowing about it all across the world. And uh, one of those people, well, there's three types. The first one, uh, the type is connectors, people who are just well-connected and know all kinds of people. The second type he calls mavens, and they're the people that thrive on information, learning about things and then passing on that knowledge to other people. And then the third one, he talks about salespeople, people who get all stirred up about an idea, and they go and and, in their enthusiasm, they go and they pass it along. So um, I guess when, when you think about these three things, it's not so hard to see how this Wiggles movement has spread so rapidly, because at least... So my three-year-old, he can't get enough of the wiggle. So, so it's sticky, at least, not to the parents, okay? And, and if you're a parent, you're not going to admit now that you like the wiggles, okay? But, it, it, but for kids, it's a very sticky thing, okay? They love it. Uh, and then in the context of today, we're in a, we're in a global world, right? Kids, they're, they're in front of the TV screens. We've got the Internet. I mean, stuff can advance so rapidly. So it's not that hard to see, I guess, um, as much as I hate to admit it, how the Wiggles movement kind of took off. But what is so crazy to me is if you think about these three factors that Gladwell uh, advances in his book, The Tipping Point, to think about the movement of Christianity, the movement that Jesus came to start 2,000 years ago. Because, you know, if you kind of break it down by these three factors, let me just kind of show you how how this hits me. So basically, Jesus' big idea 2,000 years ago Basically, if I had to sum it up like this, this is his idea. It's not about you. That was Jesus' big idea that he came to to say, right? I mean, basically, he came to this world and he said, guess what? You might have thought that by living a good enough life that you could kind of be worthy to be in a relationship with a perfect, holy God. Guess what? You can't. Okay, And basically, the first thing that Jesus said you got to admit is you, you're not perfect. You've messed up. You're not worthy of being in a relationship with a perfect, eternal being. It's not about you. It's about what, what I have done. That's what Jesus is saying. It's, it's about my work on the cross, my taking the sins of the world upon me, dying on a cross for your sins. And if you believe in me, not in yourself, but if you believe in me, then that's how you're justified before God. So, so. The idea is it's not about you. It's nothing that you can do. And here's the best part. Then it gets better. Because once you put your faith in Christ, guess what? For the rest of your days, 
And we all know this, right? Sometimes I need a reminder like I needed this week. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, for the rest of your life, it's not about you. For the rest of your life, your life is about loving and serving God and loving and serving other people. In fact, the Bible says it's about putting other people ahead of yourself, thinking more of others than you think of yourself. It's God first, others second, and I'm third. So that's not a sticky idea to me. That's not an idea that we're like, yeah, I like that idea. Not about you. Oh, yeah, let me get some of that. Okay? So that's not sticky. Okay? I, that's, we're 0 for 1. Okay? Now let's talk about the context 2,000 years ago. If I had to write a word for the context, it'd be isolated. Okay? Jesus came, and who knew what, what religion, what nationality Jesus was? He was Jewish, right? So he came as a, as a Jewish person. And the Jews, did they like to associate and mix with other people groups? No, no. No, in fact, that was, that was you, didn't, you didn't go outside of the Jewish faith, okay? So, so it was a very isolated people group. And 2,000 years ago, we all know this, but it wasn't like it is today. People, where, where you were born, that's where you died, that, that house where you lived in, right? I mean, it was a sedentary group of people. It was not a global world like it is today. People pretty much were isolated and stayed put. So to think about a movement that would actually sweep across the entire world uh, this is not a very good context for that. So I think we're open to. And then if you think about the people, the people that Jesus was around, this would be the word that I would use to describe them. I would say pretty uninfluential. Right? And if you've read through the Bible, you know that the people that Jesus hung out with were pretty much the outcasts of societies. They were the quote-unquote the sinners Right? They were the people, they were fairly uneducated. There was no one in a position of influence by the world's standards. So here you have just, Jesus is 0 for 3. In, in Gladwell's book, man, this is a movement that is not ripe to take off and move. And so what I kind of was sitting back thinking about was, well, how in the world did this movement that Jesus came to start, how did it take off? I mean, what was the secret to the success? What was Jesus' model for creating lasting change? And um, what I want you to do is, uh, if you have your Bible, I always encourage you to bring your Bible to church. If you have your Bible, uh, if you could turn to the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Uh, We're going to look at Mark chapter 6 today. Um, It's a very familiar story. Even if you don't go to church or this is your first time in church in a long time, you have probably heard this story. We're going to talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. We're going to look at at Mark's uh, recording of it in Mark chapter 6. And um, basically, in case you don't know, actually, if we could take the words down, because I'll just be distracting for, for a second. If we could clear those words, that'd be cool. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, um, what's going on here in the story. So if you haven't heard or you need a refresher, here's what's going on. Jesus has been in ministry for a while now. He's been healing people. He's been teaching people. There's been these rumors spreading that, you know, this, this is the Messiah. This is, this is the Savior. This is the one who God has brought to, to deliver us. And so there's this, there's this growing interest And wherever Jesus is going, he's being followed by crowds. And it's getting so bad that um, it says in in Mark 6 that his disciples don't even have a chance to eat. They're so busy kind of like dealing with all the people and everything coming up. So Jesus takes his disciples a little bit outside of town. And um, they're going away just to kind of get some rest, just to kind of recharge a little bit. And uh, word leaks out that they're headed out. And so these crowds of people 
just just fall, are following behind Jesus and his disciples. And so they get kind of out into a little bit of a remote area, and uh, and they're sitting there. And before you know it, there's this crowd of 5,000. That's just men alone, okay? So it says at that point in the story that Jesus sees the crowds, and he has compassion on them. And so he begins to do his thing. He begins to teach. And, uh, and I, you can only imagine the scene. It's probably, you know, people are riveted. They've come far and wide to, to hear Jesus. And uh, it's late in the day, and no one's eaten, it says. And uh, so Jesus sends out his disciples to kind of do a little survey. Okay, how much food do we have among the crowd? Maybe we could do a little potluck thing here. And the disciples go out, and, uh, and they bring back, and basically what they've gathered is five loaves of bread and two fish. And, um, and if you've heard the story, you know what happens next. It's in Mark 6, 39. Uh, starts there. It says, um, so they've got these five loaves and two fish. It says, then Jesus directed them, the disciples, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten, again, that's just the men, okay? Women, you've got to love it. You didn't even get mentioned 2,000 years ago. How bad is that? But um, the number of men alone who would eaten was 5,000. So women and children were probably talking, I don't know, 10,000 maybe. So I want to stop right there. So here, I mean, you've got to imagine this scene, okay? This, this is just, okay, here, if, if, if you got it, you've just got to think with me for a second, okay? So here is this crowd of people. They have heard all this stuff about Jesus, okay? They might have had a relative or a friend or a neighbor who's actually been healed because Jesus was going around and he was healing people. And he's teaching, and the crowds are filled with awe because he taught not with the authority of men, but the authority of God, okay? So they've come out. They've rushed to see this guy, okay, Jesus. And now he has performed in front of this massive crowd. They're out in the middle of nowhere, okay? All of a sudden, they have no food, and all of a sudden, Jesus produces enough food to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Incredible miracle. Now, if I'm a disciple, if I'm a disciple right then, and I know that Jesus came with a mission to take this gospel message, okay, to take a message of love and forgiveness and redemption to a broken world. And if he came to do that to the entire world, here's what I'm thinking if I'm a disciple, okay? This is a perfect opportunity. You're going to take a movement across the world. You've got about 10,000 people here. And they are, this, this is your moment, Jesus. This is the time. They, they, they're eager. They've heard that, you know, you're, you're the son of God. This is the time, if I'm a disciple, where I'm going, okay, Jesus, this is what you do, okay? This is where you do the big altar call. You have them come up. You put their faith in you, right? And, and man, if it's me, like, I got my sign-up sheets out. I got my tables in the back, you know? I got my sign-up sheets out because now's the time. We're signing up. Jesus is going to, he's going to cast a vision, and we're going to send everybody out. Well, here's what you need to do. We're going to, we're going to get them committed today. I think, I, I don't know if anyone's seen a place in the Bible where there's documented that more people were together with Jesus than this moment. So if I'm thinking, if I'm a disciple, this is it, baby. This is it. What's so interesting to me is what Jesus does. And if you don't have your Bible, I mean, you've you got to trust me. We just read verse 44. This is the exact next 
verse, okay? So this, this crowd is ripe, is totally receptive. I'm guessing after they just saw a miracle like that, most of us, we'd be willing to just do whatever. If Jesus said, let's go, well, I'm going, okay? Look at what Jesus does. This is mind-blowing to me. Verse 45, okay? They've just eaten. The number of men had eaten was 5,000. And then it says in verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. What? What is he doing? This is the perfect opportunity, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible. This is the moment. What is Jesus doing? Here's the deal, you guys. This verse illustrates that Jesus, his model, his method for, for creating a movement that would sweep across the world and 2,000 years ago would have had enough impact to affect all of us and what we did on our Sunday morning wasn't dependent on a large crowd. That wasn't Jesus' model. Jesus chose to build in to a small group of 12 people. That was his model. Because here's what Jesus knew and here's what Jesus knows is that lasting change, the kind of change that will be able to sustain a movement, lasting change takes place in community over time. Now, does it mean that that change can't happen in a moment? Does it mean that change can't happen kind of in isolation? Absolutely not. I mean, there are there are definitely times when uh, when, when we've all had those kind of moments where, where God's just kind of spoken to you, you've been all alone, or you've been reading the Bible, right? Or just this moment in time where, where something happened and it changed you. I mean, God certainly can do that. But if you look, by and large, the model for sustaining lasting change, it takes place in community over a period of time. See, I believe that Jesus knew that he couldn't just kind of call a crowd together and get them all whipped up in a frenzy, do a couple of miracles, and then send them out. It wasn't going to work that way. Because the reality is, this, this idea, this thing is tough to live out. Amen? This is tough to live out, this idea that it's not about you. And so what Jesus knew is that for this movement to advance, for this change to be lasting, he knew that he had to build down deep into the lives of these 12 men. You see, in a crowd, here's, here's what happens. You know this, right? In a crowd of people, it's really hard to have a, 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 an element of community there. That's why Jesus wasn't working, wasn't kind of starting the movement from a crowd perspective. Because in a crowd, it's kind of like a one-way exchange of information, right? I mean, you got Jesus talking and the crowd's just kind of listening, taking it in. The crowd is pretty much a passive audience. And what Jesus was about was mixing it up. Jesus was about stirring the pot. He was about actively getting involved in people's lives and helping to build their faith. And, and to kind of illustrate it, um, let me just kind of show you one other thing. Okay, we all know that, that Jesus taught in parables, right? I mean, Jesus is famous for his teaching in parables. But you know what struck me is as I read through the Bible, I read through a lot. If you have a, a red-letter Bible, that's uh, one of those where all the things that Jesus said are in red in the Gospels. 
So I was reading through a red letter Bible and I was just kind of taking note of all of the ways that Jesus communicated. And what struck me is over and over and over again, you know, that Jesus asked questions. Huge. I mean, over and over, particularly with his disciples. In fact, in John chapter 1, the first thing he says to the first two disciples, the very first words he has, the very first he changed, starts with a question. So I want us to turn to Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 18 to 20, uh, because it's just, this is a classic example of Jesus using questions. I want to talk about what it means. Uh, it says, Luke 9, 18 through 20, it says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? And it says they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, and others, they say Elijah, and still others, uh, they say that the one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Well, what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? And it says, Peter answered, The Christ of God. Now, this is fascinating to me if you stop and think about this. Why is Jesus asking all these questions? I mean, I know why I ask questions. I ask questions because I'm interested in finding something out. Primarily, I ask a question because I don't know. I, I need some information. The other reason that I ask is because, um, you know, it's typically around something with my wife. I can't understand her. You know, guys, you, you can connect with me a little bit on that one. So I'm trying to figure out what she's thinking or what she's feeling. Okay? So that's why I ask questions. But when I think about Jesus for a second, okay, if Jesus was God in human flesh, if Jesus was God, and let me just say this, okay, if you're here this morning and you're not at that place yet where you feel like you're ready to, to believe that Jesus uh, was really God, that's totally cool. That's, we're, we're happy that you're here and you just, you know, you kind of work through that, and we hope that you get to a place where you believe that Jesus was God. But just hypothetically for a minute, if you're not there, just hypothetically, for, for argument's sake, because he claimed to be God, so let's just go with that for a minute. You're in church, so if you could go with my hy- hypothetical, that'd be cool. Um, all right, if Jesus was God, then Jesus already knows. He, he already knows. He's all-knowing. In fact, it says in other places in the Gospels, you, you've probably seen them before if you've read some, that it says that like Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he says, is this what you're thinking? And they said, yeah, that was what we were thinking. So he already knows what they're thinking. So why is he asking the questions? What's Jesus up to? Why is he doing this? What I've arrived at is what Jesus was doing when he was asking those questions, is he was engaging them in a process. See, he wasn't asking the questions for his sake. He was asking the questions... For their sake, right? He was asking the questions because he was trying to evoke a response. He was trying to get them to talk out, to start a dialogue, to mix it up a little bit. See, what Jesus knew was that there is power in that process. Now, maybe you can think of a time in your own life where, you know, maybe you, you kind of thought you knew how you felt about an issue or an idea or something, but it wasn't until you got in a conversation with someone, they were asking you, you know, they were kind of probing, you started talking about this issue, maybe a controversial thing or whatever, and you started to realize, man, I don't know that I'm fully in touch with this. You know, there's, you can kind of have a subconscious understanding of things, and I think what Jesus is doing, he's bringing this out. He's bringing faith issues, spiritual stuff, important life stuff out, and he's saying, let's talk about this. I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to stir you up. I want to stir the pot. And he took these 12 guys that he knew they would have to stand strong. 
these guys would have to know where they stood on certain things, right? I mean, these guys were ultimately, the 12 disciples were ultimately, almost every single one, was killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew that he needed to engage them in a process. What is fascinating to me is that this movement that Jesus came to start 2,000 years ago continues to this day. And um, here at Grace Community Church, um, you know, we take Jesus' model seriously. This idea that, that lasting change happens in the context of community over a period of time. And uh, so we're big around here about groups. Community groups are uh, probably our most popular thing that we have around here. And uh, community groups are basically what we're trying to do is, although obviously it would be much cooler to be with Jesus 2,000 years ago, like in person, we can't have that. So what we try and do is we try and, and, and duplicate that model as much as we can um, of basically getting a group of people together. It's great if you're here right now, but it's, it's hard. You kind of know there's a one-way exchange of information going on right now. It's, it's hard to kind of get you guys involved in this process. So what we try and do is, is have groups where we have like 6 to 12 people coming together and reading the Bible and praying for one another. And, and it's a place, and we work so hard on this, you guys. And it starts with who we select as our leaders. But we work so hard on creating a culture of grace, not just on Sundays, but during the week with these groups where there are safe places where you can wrestle with who God is. You can ask difficult questions. You can say, I'm, I'm here and I'm not on board yet. I don't, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I'm not at that place, but I'd like to talk about it. I'd like to stir the pot. And, and we believe that those groups are the best places, just like how that's where Jesus primarily was looking to build and strengthen faith that would sustain a movement. This movement continues to advance today right here at Grace Community Church. So we have community groups. And, uh, and I'll just tell you that this is kind of priming the pump for you guys if you're like, oh, yeah, shoot, it's 2010, New Year's resolution. Yeah, I should get in the group. Yeah, here we go. January 24th, okay, January 24th, we're doing a big sign-up for new community groups at Grace. We're starting a new series called New Year, New You. We're doing a six-week series. We're going to have groups going for six weeks. They'll meet uh, most likely on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. And um, so we're going to do a big sign-up on the 24th. And I really encourage you, that's a Sunday. You just show up on that Sunday, you'll get signed up in the back. And, um, and so I would encourage you, if you're not going to be here, write a Connect card, send me an email um, so we can get you plugged in. Uh, we also have life groups, which um, that's, that's for, for those of you who've been coming for a while and maybe you already have some, some uh, people that you know and you trust, and maybe you just want to get into a smaller deal where it's like two or three or four of you. And uh, that's, a, that's a self-selecting thing. That's, a, that's a just kind of you go with God and do your thing with a very small group where you can really talk about what's happening in your life. And if you're interested in doing that, um, then we have information under our Get Connected page of our website where you can find all about how to start a life group. And I really encourage you to think about that one, too. Um, all right, last thing. And uh, if you were here last week, um, we talked a lot about where we've been in 2009 and and we really felt like God was up to some new things in 2010. One of those new things I mentioned last week is uh, as a leadership team, as a staff and a board, we feel very strongly that God is, is basically saying, you need to put a strong emphasis on discipleship 
at Grace Community Church in, uh, in this year. And basically, by discipleship, what we're talking about is, is really looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And so, basically, what we're doing is we're putting the final touches on a discipleship curriculum. And all that that is intended to do is basically, it, it's the, a curriculum that a group can use. And what we're hoping is that just like Jesus was asking those questions you know, to his disciples, not for his sake, but for their sake, to get them wrestling with issues, to get them arguing and discussing and, and wrestling and, and trying to clarify in their minds what did they believe and what did they think, right? We're trying to do the same thing with the discipleship curriculum that would, es- would essentially have that same effect for you guys in groups, in communities, in safe places where you could wrestle with the issues that you need to wrestle with. So you'll be hearing much more about that in the weeks and the months to come. All right. Uh, before um, we pray and, uh, and close out the service, I, I just have kind of one final thing for you to think about. And, uh, and that is, as you think about how Jesus went about his model for, for uh, basically creating this movement, this model for lasting change that involved dismissing the crowd and saying, that's all good and that feels great and, and that looks like the way to go intuitively, but I'm going to build into a, to a group of people where they can know and be known, where they can wrestle with their faith. My question to you is, do you have a place like that right now? Do you have a place like that? Do you have a group of people? Do you have a few friends where you can really talk about these things? Not just close friends where you can talk about how bad the Bengals are from their game last night, but I'm talking about where you can talk about spiritual things, where you can talk about faith things, where you can talk about your struggles and your doubts. Do you have that in your life? And if you don't, what can you do today? What, what decision can you make today to start to make a commitment and say, yes, I'm going to put that in motion? If this is Jesus' model for lasting change, by and large, I'm not saying it's the only way, but if this was primarily the way that Jesus taught us to do it. I mean, if, he, if this, is, this is how he went about it, why not give it a shot? So what can you do today to kind of put that in motion? Let's pray together. God, uh, we thank you for, um, for coming to this earth in human flesh as Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, there's so much to learn from you. Uh, we thank you that... Um, you weren't content just to kind of be a God of the heavens that, that we would just kind of be in, in awe and wonder of, but you, choose, you chose to come down and uh, to give us some really practical examples of how to live. Um, Lord, um, thank you for the reminder that if we're going to be changed, if we're, gonna, if we're actually going to live out this ideal that's not sticky, that it's not about us, it's actually about you, and it's about serving other people. God, that we need to be strong in our faith. Lord, help every single person here today find community. Help every single person find a place where they can wrestle, where they can question, where they can doubt, and where they can feel free to do that without judgment or condemnation. Lord, we're all on a journey, and, and we need your help. God, bless the groups that are going on here, the tons of groups that are going on here at Grace. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give every single person here, especially those right now who the thought of stepping into a group and and sharing some of this stuff is just terrifying. I pray, Lord, you'd give them courage. I pray you'd give them strength.
that is not of themselves, but is of you, God. That when we sign up these groups on the 24th, God, that you would allow them just to walk back in faith, trusting that you're going to do something awesome. Lord, we are just praying that your will will be done. And we thank you for, um, for the fact that we can come together in this country and free of persecution and, and meet together and study your word and, and start to get to know others here at this church. So, Lord, your will be done. Help us all, Lord. We, we all need to change. We all need to grow. So, Lord, um, we know that that starts with you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.